everybody, Zuby here, and before we get into the episode, I just want to apologize. I <laughs> messed up the audio again for this episode. If you listen to my Christmas audio, you'll notice the background music was a little bit too loud, and unfortunately, this episode has background music that I was not meaning to put in there, and um, it's the Super Mario Brothers 3 background music to World 1, and it's... Um, had no idea it was playing in the background, so I use OBS Studio for when I record these videos to help me, you know, with the layout and all that. And I was experimenting with background music in one of my scenes just to see, hey, how low can I put it to make it sound decent next time I want to do that for a video. I left it on by accident, and I completely apologize. It doesn't ruin what I was saying it does it's not loud or overbearing but it's not what I wanted and I'm sorry ahead of time and I still hope you enjoy the episode because I had a ton of fun making it without further ado here's the episode Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby and if you are brand new to this show, this show is all about a little well-known card game called Magic the Gathering. Today is the very last episode of 2018, so what are we going to do? We're going to be talking about best ofs for 2018. That's right, we're going into Magic, the top Magic sets of 2018, the top Magic cards of this year, the top standard decks of this year, my hopes for 2019, what I what my hopes were last year in 2018 and did any of those hopes come true and then we're going to be getting into the best video games of 2018 the dud the video game duds of 2018 and then the best movies of 2018 to wrap things up around here before we begin let's get some announcements out of the way magic Zuby can be found on the following on itunes google play stitcher and TuneIn radio if you want to subscribe to the youtube channel go ahead and search magic with Zuby on youtube.com uh, you can also find Magic with Zuby on Facebook.com slash Magic with Zuby, on Twitter at Magic with Zuby, on Instagram at Magic underscore with underscore Zuby, and if you want to email me with any questions you may have, you can email me at mtgzuby at gmail.com. And if you want to help support the show, you can check out the show's Patreon at Patreon.com slash Magic with Zuby. There will be some new things coming to the Patreon, so be sure to be on the lookout for that some merchandise might be showing up soon yeah some of that merch right that merchandise yeah, you know gotta smash that like button too and all that other shit um anyways uh magic Azubi is proudly sponsored by legitmtg.com if you need to buy any singles or sealed product and your order is over two dollars or more you will have free shipping anywhere in the united states and we are also sponsored by manatraders.com if you have a magic online account and you don't want to buy magic basically buy magic singles and you just want to rent a deck go ahead and check out manatraders.com if you sign up today you can get 15 percent off your first three months if you just use coupon code mtgzuby that's mtgzuby mtgzuby today at manatraders.com on checkout be sure to check them out so let's just get right into it um we're gonna start off with the top magic the gathering sets of this year and 2018 was pretty jam-packed with Magic the Gathering sets. So we're going to be talking about 
Um, there will be some reprint sets in this list, and then there's going to be some non-standard expansion sets in this list as well. I've got six of them. That doesn't mean there were exactly six sets that came out this year. These are just the six sets that I enjoyed the most. Um, you'll probably notice which one is missing if you pay attention, you know, carefully pay attention here. Uh, number six on the list is Rivals of Ixalan. It being the sister expansion to Ixalan, we got Rivals of Ixalan and out of it came some pretty decent cards. Um, it did make draft a little bit more fun. I was not a big fan of Ixalan Limited to begin with because it felt very, very straightforward as either you go pirates, merfolk, you know, vampires or dinosaurs. I mean, I know that's what it was trying to convey. It's a tribal set, right? Um, didn't make for a very interesting limited environment, I must say. Uh, Rivals of Ixalan did bring on some pretty fun cards, um, and they were. Azor the Lawbringer was one of them. Uh, then we've got Journey to Eternity, Tr Tender Shoot Dryad, Golta Primal Hunger for that mono green aggro that we'll, we'd soon see pretty quickly in the next few sets. Um, also brought with us some good Merfolk edition was Kumana or Kumena. Kumena, Tyrant of Orzica, I think that's how you say it. Uh, Polyraptor, Atali, Primal Primal Storm was one of my favorite Elder Dragons. So much fun if you can get Atali out early. Uh, we've also got Jade Light Ranger, a staple in standard right now. The Immortal Sun, and then Rekindling Phoenix, which would see a lot of play in standard forthcoming. And then also, who could forget Zakama, Primal Calamity, the eldest of Elder Dinosaurs as well. So that's number six for top MDG sets. Next, we've got Commander 2018. Uh, Commander 2018 brought with us four Commander decks, and those Commanders being Lord Wingrace. Uh, eh, eh, I can never say this one. Eh, Amina, Amanatau, Aminatau, the Fate Shifter. I think that's how you say. Sahili the Gifted, Estrid the Masked. That's one thing about magic is. There's so many hard names to pronounce here, and I don't know how to pronounce any of them. So, like I was saying, 2018 brought back Planeswalkers as more commanders. And some of these commanders were quite fun to play as. I definitely enjoyed the Lord Wingrace precon, uh, the Animatau precon as well. The Sahili and Estrid, they weren't bad. They I just personally felt they like they weren't as exciting. Um, overall, you know, there were some complaints with 2018 not being as fun or powerful as previous sets in the past but you know what i still enjoyed them anyway and who could forget uh one of the i guess funnest cards was a Rixmithis slumbering isle which is the 12 12 kraken creature which is basically a land that it starts off with and then it can become you know essentially a 12 12 kraken for four um so that is number five next we have battle bond battle bond was magic the gathering's answer to sort of bringing magic fused with wrestling it seemed like this was sort of like our wrestling mma ufc cage fighting uh type of set and it did while it did have plenty of new cards it also has some very welcomed reprints as well too this was sort of like our commander masters of the year after the not so well received masters 25 uh we had doubling season in this land tax true name nemesis micasynth lattice uh what else did we have for real 
really good reprints. Um, oh my gosh, there were quite a few. Seedborn Muse was back as well too. And as well as we also had dual lands that were pretty much for multiplayer lands. Uh, an example is Bountiful Promenade. Uh, it, the, this land enters the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents. And it had, I think it was only the Allied Cycle. It didn't have all 10 of them, if I remember correctly. It only had five. Yeah. Yeah, it only had five lands. But um, in besides the reprints, it also had some pretty interesting cards as well. It gave us plenty of new commanders as well, too. We had two new planeswalker commanders that could be partners um there was a lot of partnered creatures which a lot of the creatures would you'd play one partnered and it would allow you to dig your deck through for the other partner as well um and we also i don't know even so basically this format was played as a two-headed giant format and it had and that it was a lot of fun because there was the support mechanic where another player could help you play that can oh no it wasn't support it was assist right i'm um, so i'm getting things confused here i'm thinking i'm thinking of a different set here it's assist yeah that's right so assist would allow any other player may help you pay the cost of this spell and it was just very very you know two-headed giant friendly set and i enjoyed it and i hope we see more of this i want to see a return to battle bond for sure next we have ultimate masters which is probably one of the best master sets we have had since what Modern Masters 2017. This was sort of this was sort of a send-off of master sets from Wizards. Uh, we know that, or they claim, they said they're not gonna be printing master sets for a while here. And so we got to see the return of some awesome cards like Liliana the Veil, Karn Liberated, Cavern of Souls, Snapcaster, Tarmogoyf, Noble Hierarch, Bitter Blossom, Engineered Explosives. I could go on and on and on. Um these a lot of these were much needed reprints and a lot of them did help lower the price like celestial colonnade was a 60 dollar card and at the time of this recording it can be bought for as low as 20 dollars now um so many so many other examples here as well too uh leovold emissarius trust was a very expensive card now it can be bought for as low as 10 dollars now and you know i'm just very glad to see a lot of these cards lower in price um, it's still crazy to me that Tarmogoyf is a $57 card when I can remember a couple years ago it was $200. Now I know the power level of Tarmogoyf has shifted for since there's a lot better cards in modern right now. Um, that Not that Tarmogoyf still isn't good, it's just kind of not as good as it used to be. Um, that Ultimate Master is coming in at number three. Number two is Guilds of Ravnica. Guilds of Ravnica has probably been one of the most anticipated returns of a return of a return set. And I have to say, Guilds of Ravnica did not disappoint. It was really well received, I will be honest. I was personally a little worried about going to Ravnica for a third time and just thinking, oh great, we're going back again. Not that I don't enjoy Ravnica, it's just sort of, there's a part of me that wants to go keep visiting new planes or staying in Dominaria. Um, I loved the Dominaria set, oh, that kind of gives away number one, uh oh. Um, but Guilds of Ravnica gave us really awesome cards. It gave us reprints of the Shocklands, which, you know, 
They weren't the most expensive cards, but they're such modern staples, they're now pretty affordable by everyone now. Um, they give us some pretty awesome cards such as Assassin's Trophy, Doom Whisper, Arc-like Phoenix, uh, my personal favorite, Niv-Mezit Perun, Risk Factor, March of the Multitudes, uh, so much more. And it has turned out to be an extremely fun limited environment as well too every time i have played either draft or sealed i have had nothing but fun with guilds of ravnica and yeah i i'm honestly really excited about ravnica allegiance because i'm i don't know if it's gonna top guilds of ravnica for me because guilds of ravnica has two of my favorite guilds is it in demir uh ravnica allegiance only really has one of my favorite guilds and that's azorius azorius uh the others not that i don't like them they're just eh. oh oh and simic i do enjoy simic but you know eh, I, I don't enjoy simic as much as demir or is it but we shall see right so that is number two coming in at top sets number one i already kind of spoiled is dominaria now this was such an anticipated set because we have not been in Dominaria for a very long time. And it was such a welcome return that Dominaria gave us some of one of the most powerful cards we have seen in a long time. And that card being Teferi Hero of Dominaria. It topping at $52 right now as of this recording. Um, and plus the story, I, I did enjoy the story, but like most things, as I talked about on previous episodes past, the story felt very rushed, um, to come out, but the other cards that Dominaria gave us were the Innistrad Checklands came out again, and that completed the cycle of the previous Checklands that came out in Ixalan. And what other cards came out? We also got History of Benalia, Karn, Scion of Urza, Lyra Dombringer, Jaya Ballard, Joyra, Steel Leaf Champion, Goblin Chain Whirler, Mox Amber. Um, Helm of the Host is a really fun card. Uh, Shalai Voice of Plenty, uh, Multani, of uh, Eldest Reborn, a uh, lot, a lot of fun cards here, and really, really fun draft set. I had so much fun drafting this. This was my favorite set of 2018, and my favorite set to draft of 2018. I did so many sealed and draft events for Dominaria, and <clears throat> I do always enjoy coming back to this set here. So once again, top magic sets of 2018 were Rivals of Ixalan, Commander 2018, Battlebond, Ultimate Masters, Guilds of Ravnica, and topping out at number one is Dominaria. Yes, I did leave out Core Set 2019 and Magic... Er, Magic 25 Masters. Uh, those two sets, eh, wasn't too ha too great about them. I mean, I'm glad that we are back in corset mode, but corsets are usually, you know, lower power level. It did come out with some needed reprints like Scape Shift and Omniscience. And not that I wasn't, you know, happy about them. I just wasn't excited about the set really. Um, not that it wasn't bad. But um, let's move on to our next category, that being top magic cards of the year. 
right, so I have 10 magic cards that for me were my top 10 magic cards of 2018. Starting off at number 10, Legion Warboss. Legion Warboss, which I like to consider the younger, smarter, better brother of Goblin of Goblin Rabble Master. Uh, this came out in Guilds of Ravnica, and this essentially states, you know, create a 1-1 Goblin token at the beginning of combat, and it has haste and must attack that turn, and also Legion Warboss has Mentor 1. So when Legion Warboss swings in, it can give a creature with lower power and toughness a plus 1, plus 1 counter. So the best thing about Legion Warboss compared to Goblin Rabble Master is not all goblins have to attack each turn, meaning that Legion Warboss boss doesn't have to attack but the goblin token it does create has to attack that turn so to me it's better than rabble master uh coming in at number nine from rivals of ixalan ravenous chupacabra when ravenous chupacabra enters enters the battlefield destroy target creature an opponent controls so this is some a really good spot removal that brings a body out onto the battlefield i have played this card so much this year um in various bulgari concoctions and standard uh this is my personal number nine and i enjoy it a lot uh, number eight coming in at from Guilds of Ravnica, Ionize, uh, one of the best counter spells in Magic right now, where it counters target spell and its controller take receives two damage to their face. Um, it costs one blue and a red, and one of the best counter spells. But this next counter spell kind of topples Ionize in a sense, and it's also from Guilds of Ravnica, and that's Sinister Sabotage, where it's one double blue counter target spell, Surveil One, helps you dig through that deck and let, ha, helps you look at the your top deck and whether or not it's going to be good for you. As this is extremely important in control. Um, coming in at number six from Dominaria is History of Banalia. The Enchantment Sagas were a very welcome addition to Magic the Gathering as a whole. It is a very interesting concept, very interesting mechanic, and I hope it is not the last we see of Sagas. I would like to see a return of Sagas. You know, maybe if we go back to Theros or Khans, we can get some more Saga cards because they are fun, very, very fun. History of Banalia being probably the most powerful saga enchantment that we have probably coming second to eldest reborn i'd have to say or song of frailies and limited is ridiculously bonkers saga um but history banalia helps us poop out two 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 night tokens with the vigilance and then pumps them up by plus two plus one in the third chapter making any kind of night tokens a definite reckon to be dealt with uh, coming in at number five from guilds of ravnica is assassin's trophy when this was first spoiled everybody thought this was going to be the end-all be-all removal um but it turned out to be not so much in standard i mean it's still a very very good removal but i still see a lot of Vraska's contempt being played i'm sure when Vraska's contempt gets rotated out i can see assassin's trophy taking its spot as number one removal in the set right now it is still extremely good and, but, you know, there's sometimes better options out there. Uh, coming in at number four from Guilds of Ravnica is Lava Coil. Do you have a pesky cre creature that keeps coming back from the dead from the graveyard? Lava Coil will help you exile that creature. You just have to deal four damage to that creature. And if that creature dies from Lava Coil, it is exiled instead. Uh, next, we have coming in at number three from Guilds of Ravnica, Niv Mezit Parun. Probably my favorite Niv-Mezit printing ever. 
Um, I used to really like the one from uh, Return to Ravnica set, but Niv-Mezzet Perun, hands down. Not only can it not be countered, but every time you draw a card, it's going to deal one damage to target player or creature. And whenever someone casts an instant or sorcery, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery, you draw a card. So if you get this creature out and it survives a turn and then it goes back to your turn and then you get into some counter wars your opponent's going to be in for a bad time coming in at number two from dominaria teferi hero of dominaria one of the most powerful planeswalkers that have been printed in a long time and this planeswalker has won me so many games um and it is now made a home in my modern deck my blue white control modern deck it is second to none compared to jace the mind sculptor uh teferi is ridiculously strong and if it survives staying out for probably more than one turn you have a very high chance of winning that game at that point so what's number one what's number one you may ask um I mean, I already named the most powerful card in Standard. What's number one compared to that? Well, this card also hails from Dominaria as well. And this card is none other than my personal favorite pet card, Lich's Mastery. Lich's Mastery reads the following. Not only does this card have Hexproof, it costs three in double black, has Hexproof. You can't lose the game. Whenever you gain life, draw that many cards. Whenever you lose life, for each one life you lost, exile a permanent you control or a card from your hand or graveyard. When Lich's Mastery leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. So, this has brought about a lot of fun pet decks for me. Not only was this super fun to play with Esper Approach, or sometimes even Blue-White Approach, or no, 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 uh, blue or black, white, black, white approach. Well, not blue, white. Um, this has also been a fun, made a fun toolbox deck in standard, which was the five color Lich's Mastery um, deck as well. Uh, like I said, my personal favorite pet card. I love these kind of cards here. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if it's going to see much play. The five color toolbox deck is fun, but it's just pretty hard to play. There's so many triggers to remember and all that. But I kind of hope that maybe in the next couple sets, maybe Lich's Mastery will see another little sprout of life again who knows so those are my top magic cards of 2018 once again they are legion warboss ravenous chupacabra ionize sinister sabotage history of benalia assassin's trophy lava coil niv mezit perun teferi hero of dominaria and coming in at number one lich's mastery now let's get into these top standard decks of 2018 all right so 2018 i didn't play as many different standard decks that I normally do. Now, I think I mentioned last year that I was going to not really take a step back from standard, but really try not to spend as much money for standard and just really sort of play with what I got and not really invest a whole lot of money into standard. So I didn't play as many variety of standard decks. Now with Magic Arena, that has changed drastically. Now I can build almost any standard deck I want with the pool of cards I have and spending not so much money as well either. So these, I only have four standard decks. Two of them are pretty similar, but different. And coming in at number four, it is Golgari Constrictor. So back in this was, I want to say, Dominaria. 
Yeah, this is Dominary before Corset 19. I played a lot of Golgari Constrictor with the Winding Constrictor deck, basically so I could put more counters and everything. Um, it also had Walking Ballista, Verudius Gearhulk, Rishgar, Pima Renegade, Jade Light Rangers, Lanawar Elves, Merfolk Branchwalkers, Ravenous Chupacabras, um, you name it, it had it. It was a very fun and very formidable deck as well too. Sometimes I did play a sort of Jund variant because at the time I did I loved the Glory Burner card. I think I mentioned that last year in last year's episode. A uh, Glory Burner was my favorite card of 2017, and I did enjoy the Jund variant, but it was never as consistent as the Golgari variant. Um, very very fun deck, but it did get a little boring because it was very linear. And um, not that linear is bad. It was just sort of, eh, you knew what to expect from it, essentially. Uh, coming in at number three is the current Golgari mid-range deck. And this one, even though it is pretty linear, it's a lot more resilient to board wipes than you think. Because with the Find Finality card that allows you to return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard, put it back into your hand, as well as some... Uh, decks do play the um, was it Golgari Fine Broker that allows you to return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, also, with this card allowing you to dig through your deck pretty easily with a lot of Explorer cards with Seeker Squire, Jade Light Ranger, Merfolk Branchwalker, and as well as Vivian Reed to sort of help you round out that digging through your deck. Um, it's turned out to be a very resilient deck. The first kind of incarnations didn't play a whole lot of Carnage Tyrant, but as Jeskai Control and other kind of control decks grew more and more in the meta, Carnage Tyrant was played more and more, and now it's sort of a staple in this deck as well too it's a very fun deck it's very resilient and it's pretty hard to beat uh have enjoyed playing it a lot uh coming in at number two is jeskai control um if you know me i'm i love playing control and this has been even though the mana is not perfect it is good enough to where we can play plenty of Settle the Wreckages, Cleansing Novas, we've got some really good Planeswalkers and Teferi, and yes, even Ral is it Viceroy is pretty decent. Uh, we've got plenty of spot removal with Justice Strike, Deafening Clarion, Lava Coil, um, you know, what is it, Lightning Strike that some people play. Uh, then we've also got Niv, Mesut, Perun, Crackling Drake as our creatures for the beaters. Uh, Search for Ascanta to help us dig through the deck even more. Chemister's Insight to help us dig even more. And it's a very fun deck. It's very, very good. It's extremely controlling. Uh, one of my favorite, probably in this current standard, probably my favorite deck to play in current standard right now. Uh, coming in at number one, um, if kind of probably know what this deck is, and that would be Esper Lich Mastery Control. I enjoyed playing this so much. I think I played this deck. I'm looking at my deck list here that I had. I think I played this. Yeah, at Habdomen, the last time I played this was definitely during Dominaria. I think I stopped playing it 
when M19 came out. Uh, just going over my deck list here, had 26 lands. Um, and then my two creatures were Lyra Dombringer. Oh no, so I did play this during M19. I apologize. Lyra Dombringer and Resplendent Angel were my only two creatures. And then I had Disallow, Fatal Push, Renewed Faith, uh, Settle the Wreckage, Vraska's Contempt, Gideon of the Trials. I forgot about that card being in it. Karn, Scion of Urza, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, Approach of the Second Sun, Fumigate, uh, Thematic Compass, Cast Out, and Lich's Mastery. Uh, Fumigate was played over Cleansing Nova because of the life gain, and with having Lich's Mastery out and wiping a board with Fumigate just allowed me to draw more cards. Um, really miss playing this deck. This was such a fun deck, and it was my favorite deck of 2018. Um, the only deck that has come close is Jeskai Control. It was really almost kind of head-to-head -head for me. It was which one did I enjoy more, Jeskai Control or Esper Lich Mastery Control? And I have to say, Esper Lich Mastery was way more fun because you had a few win cons with it. It wasn't just Approach of the Second Sun, but we had the creatures. We had Teferi. Um, even Gideon was a win con as well, too. So it, it was pretty, pretty diverse, I have to say. Uh, next, we are going to talk about the hopes I had for 2018 regarding Magic. Uh, let's just go over them now. The first one was Magic Arena being released. Um, so technically, it's not officially released in 2018, but it is in open beta right now. Um, Magic Arena, I've been in the Magic Arena beta since it was in the very closed NDA beta last November, I want to say. And that was, and you've seen it on stream before, it was when there was only two decks, uh, Pirates versus, was it Pirates versus Dinosaurs, I want to say, I think? Um, or was it Pirates versus Merfolk? I can't remember. I, honestly, I can't remember, because you can only play one or one of two decks. And I really, really liked the concept of Arena, and then when it went to close beta, um, it was a lot of fun, but I didn't play a lot of it. I was really kind of waiting for open beta to happen so I didn't have to rebuild my collection again. Because at one point during the closed beta, I did play a lot of it and I built up my collection. I didn't spend any money or anything. We well, know I think I did spend, I think, five bucks for a welcome pack in the closed beta. And I, I built up my collection pretty decently in the closed beta. And then I stopped because... It was just, I realized, well, I don't want to grind all this much and then lose everything I built. And so I waited for the open beta, and since open betas come out, I've been playing the crap out of Magic Arena. Though I will admit, the past few weeks, probably month and a half, I haven't been playing as much. Because, one, depression, job, busyness, depression, and just everything else happening in my life. So, I have been playing it the past few days, so... I'm hoping it's going to fully release next year, and hopefully it should, I mean, especially if they're doing the esports thing. Uh, number two was the return of corsets. Uh, corsets are back, and did M19 live up to it? It definitely lived up to being a corset because it was pretty average, and corsets are usually average. It did come with some pretty awesome reprints, and I'm hoping that for corset M20, we see some more awesome reprints in that set as well too. Uh, then last hope for that I put for 2018 was not being afraid to print powerful cards and shake things up. 
Well, they definitely did. So this was, I remember saying this because there was a lot of talk and there was even some design articles talking about how they don't want to print certain cards again. That two mana mana dorks were going to become the norm and standard. And there's there was even, you know, a thing I even wrote about that I never published or released that Dominaria was going to come out with a Llanowar elf that was going to be a drawback. It'll be like a two or three mana cost mana dork. Um, but they've been really surprising me. Dominaria was a huge surprise in terms of power level. Not only did we get Llanowar elves back, but they printed Teferi, History of Benali. I mean, I went over all those cards just now, but they have not been afraid to print some powerful cards and Guilds of Ravnica whoa that power level was super high um i mean assassin's trophy come on arc like phoenix is seeing play everywhere man it's insane right um so they definitely were not afraid to shake things up in terms of standard that even sort of shook the foundations of modern and even a little bit of legacy and um, I don't think it really did it do some stuff to vintage I don't know I don't pay attention to vintage at all and then I, and I'm getting to a point where I don't follow legacy as much either because um, I don't play it and I don't have anyone to play it with so and I still only have legacy elves next I am going to be talking about my hopes for Magic the Gathering in 2019 and I only have three hopes Number one being a new eternal non-rotating format for Magic the Gathering. Now, I I wrote uh, I wrote these hopes before there were some announcements that even Wizards was going to say they were going to be doing some sort of standard plus uh, format. Especially, it's mainly because of Arena that when Ixalan from Ixalan to Corset 19, when that rotates out in standard, we, they don't want your cards in arena to suddenly lose value and you can't play with them so there was going to be some sort of standard plus format in arena and i'm hoping that kind of translates to paper as well i'm also kind of hoping that since those cards are already programmed in arena i hope it goes back to kaladesh and while that may skew some things um in terms of power level for this new eternal format I or non-rotating format however you want to call it um, I'd be really interested in seeing you know Kaladesh through Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation to come back in Arena because there are some pretty fun powerful cards in there Fatal Push for one right uh, and then number two some reprints that shake up the core of Standard now what are some awesome reprints that could shake the core of Standard right what if there was a Force of Will reprint I mean, it didn't. Did it break standard when it was first printed? No. Would it break standard right now? It make control super good. So maybe not reprint Force of Will, but you know, what about something like Green Sun Zenith? How about the Zenith? The whole Zenith uh, cycle reprinted, right? How fun would that be? Uh, Natural Order. And I'm, I'm naming legacy cards here. Um, you know, something like Cabal Therapy or Thoughtseize or... God, I mean, there's so many reprints that would be so much fun to shake up the core of Standard, right? You know, see powerful cards from the past get reprinted. Uh, Vindicate, you know? Um, so so many more. It, it, I'm going to be interested to see if they reprint anything that's going to be, you know, really that makes magic players go, Oh my god. I can't believe they reprinted that. 
last but not least, and this is sort of a personal hope. I mean, these are all personal, right? But this one, I don't see it happening at all, but I would love to, for it to happen. And that would be make all planeswalkers legal as commanders in EDH. And there's a fly. It's like almost one o'clock in the morning here as I'm uh, recording this. So I think that would not only dramatically oh my god this fucking fly is just gonna drive me crazy here where did you come from it's like a thousand or it's a thousand below oh i got you bitch no i don't think i fucking got it and this is staying in the recording you fucking little fly bitch um not only would this really shake up the entire meta of edh it would just be so much fun to see as well too um i'd love to have jace the mind sculptor as my commander because why not um have them be able to be played a lot more you know and a lot more easily so those are my hopes for magic in 2019 just to reiterate them again new non-rotating format for magic the gathering some reprints that shake up the core standard and make planeswalkers legal as commanders all right now we are going to go outside of the box here starting off with the best video games for me of 2018. Coming in at number six has been Spyro Reignited Trilogy. I played a lot of Spyro as a kid, and then we I got it again when my oldest daughter was much younger, and she loved the hell out of that game. Uh, this remake of Spyro is freaking amazing. I'm playing the, through the game now, and I've only ever played the first Spyro. I've never played the other two. So going through this game and the, the re the redoing of the graphics and the re, you know high definition upgrade everything aspire one is freaking amazing i mean the game looks gorgeous and i'm having so much fun now this game does show its age in terms of gameplay but that's no problem for me because i'm glad playing a game like this it is pretty easy but it's a fun relaxing type of game uh loving the hell out of it if you are a spyro fan or a fan of a game that's kind of similar to mario 64 spyro reignited trilogy is definitely up your alley uh coming in at number five is red dead redemption 2 i have had a lot of fun playing red dead redemption 2 uh still haven't beaten the game but the graphics and the vistas of this game are bar none freaking gorgeous um it's it's an incredible looking game and just you know well done rockstar because rockstar they have such a way of making their worlds come to life right and it's amazing what they can do uh coming in at number four call of duty black ops 4 um yes i am that kind of guy who's a call of duty fanboy i have been since the very very first call of duty and i have got i've played every single call of duty since and this black ops 4 has been probably one of the best call of duties that i've played since maybe black ops 2 um i wasn't a big fan of black ops 3 but black ops 4 it's also had my wife hooked on the game too i don't think she's been hooked on a call of duty since black ops 2 as well because she she's not like me she doesn't play them every year i do though but her and i she's been hell she's she's getting better at the game than i am it's it's insane um and this has been the first call of duty that i've bought on multiple platforms um i have it on pc and ps4 uh coming in at number three is super mario party now 
The last Mario Party that I played before this one was Mario Party 10 for the Wii U. The kids really wanted it, and so we got it, and it was fun for a little bit. It had some fun, you know, things to it, but eh, I wasn't too hyped about it. Uh, the Super Mario Party for Nintendo Switch, though, sort of goes, it's a throwback to, you know, some of the original Mario Parties, and it is a lot of fun. The games that I have played with not only my friends, and but also my kids, has been really really a lot of fun the downside is yes you can only play with the joy cons and yet you probably should invest in some more joy cons if you want to have more people play it that is the downside to it because joy cons are fucking expensive oh my god it's like 80 bucks for two of them um or for a pair i should say because you have to have two it's not like you can only just buy one but it's i mean it's worth it the, the game is super fun uh coming in at number two is spider-man for the playstation 4 um i have to say i wasn't even that hyped about this game when this game came out i didn't even buy it right away actually i did wait a couple days after it came out but i have to say leading up to the game you know i remember seeing the trailers for it and i'm like eh, it looks okay you know I'm not that excited about it then i saw some actual gameplay like when it came out i was watching some people on twitch play it and then i'm looking at like oh my god this game looks so much fun holy shit and so i bought the game and played it for like two three hours straight and that's very rare for someone like me i can't just sit down and play games like that anymore um and i almost 100 the game and did pretty much all the side almost all the side missions unlocked almost everything and that's a lot for me because even usually when i beat a game i'm done i don't do anything else with it but this game just kept me wanting to come back for more and i loved the story of it um this should have been a spider-man movie the plot to this should have been a movie um love the game through and through from start to finish I, there was n at no point in the game that i not enjoy it uh coming in at number one for me i'd have to say it would be god of war i have always been a huge fan of the god of war games i loved all of them i will say at the beginning of this game i was kind of like what the fuck is going on with kratos why doesn't he why doesn't he have his blades what's up with this axe what's up with this annoying kid but as the game went on it got me more and more sucked into this world and really really got me into it i still kind of don't really care for his son even at the end of it but the gameplay was so much fun especially when he finally unlocked the um oh my god the blades i'm forgetting the names of them uh the blades that he has from the original god of war games the game play just turns out to be so much better and even with the axe it's a lot of fun um I will say probably the one downside to this game is the kind of lackluster end battle. Um, wasn't that exciting compared to previous God of Wars, but still overall an extremely fun game. And it was very fun trying to unlock everything and even go and exploring and all that stuff too. Because most, pretty much all the God of Wars before that were all very linear games. There was no exploring to be had or anything like that. So. Um, once again, my best video games of 2018, Spyro Reignited Trilogy, Red Dead, Redemption 2, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Super Mario Party, Spider-Man, and first is God of War. Now, let's get on to video games that kind of turned out to be duds in 2018. 
coming in at number five is Fallout 76. Now, I will be honest right here, I have not played a single bit or minute of Fallout 76, but I have watched quite a few people play the game on Twitch. First of all, to me, Fallout isn't a multiplayer game. It's not a sort of MMO-driven type game. Now, is the idea of a Fallout being an MMO interesting? Yes. But after all the bugs and complaints that I've read about and from the gameplay that I've even seen on Twitch, it just did not interest me one bit. Um, I didn't even really follow the development of this game. I had no idea the game was even coming out this year. But then when it did come out, I was kind of, you know, hesitant. Like, okay, let me read some of the reviews. Let me see the gameplay. And just from what I saw, I'm like, this looks boring as hell. Um, and even all the reviews I kept reading were just terrible. You know, plenty of bugs in the game. And then you, know, you got freaking microtransactions and all that stuff. I'm like, mm -mm, no thanks, Bethesda. Uh, count me out. Uh, number four is Octopath Traveler. Now, I hyped myself up for this game a whole lot because it looked like it was a big return to Final Fantasy, uh, the old school Final Fantasy on Super Nintendo, and in a lot of ways it was. My main problem with the game was the story, or the lack of a story. I mean, not that there wasn't a story, it was just an extremely boring story. You have eight characters, you start off with one random one, and then you go collect the other characters, and they all have stories that are extremely boring. I mean, I know it's a cl cliched game, but so many of the stories also felt so pretentious and shallow and trying to be holier than thou, and it's like, okay, this is boring. Another complaint was whenever you'd have the first character you start off with and then you meet another character, it's like your original character didn't matter to the second character you just met. Like, they're inconsequential to their own story. They're just sort of there. Um, the battle system, kind of interesting, but it made battles felt extremely grindy. And I don't mind a grindy game, because I enjoyed the hell out of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and that is a grindy game. But the battling in that game didn't feel as bad. It felt, e e once you get used to the battle system, it felt like it kind of went a little bit quicker. In Octopath Traveler, it just felt like, oh my god, even fighting a stupid little green blob that should be easy for your level 10 party just felt like it took forever. And I'm like, okay, I don't have this kind of time, and I just was not enjoying the game at all. I tried. I gave it about 5 to, it was between 5 to 10 hours I played, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. So I went and sold it. Uh, coming in at number 3, Mega Man 11. I have been a huge Mega Man gamer for a long time now. I've beaten every single Mega Man game, the platform ones, that includes Mega Man X as well, up to Mega Man X6. I have, still haven't played 7 and 8, um, but Mega Man 1 through 10 I have played. I've never played any of the Battle Networks or Legends or anything like that, but just the platform games. So when they announced that they're making Mega Man 11, I was super pumped and excited. But what I got was not really that good. Now, it's not to say the whole game was bad. There were some very fun levels. The bouncy balloon level, that level can fuck the hell off for sure because that level was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, the gear system, where you can either slow down time or make your uh, weapons even more powerful, 
I was really hoping that was going to be optional to, you know, hey, maybe this will help you get past a certain point of the level. No, there's so many times where you have to use some part of the gear system in certain levels and against certain bosses. That kind of made me feel like, okay, so I'm forced to use this because I like doing... I like doing some runs in Mega Man where I just use the M Buster, right? I don't like using any of the um, special powers you get from bosses unless there's areas of the map that you have to use the special powers, right? Um, but I usually, but with Mega Man 11, there's I don't think you can beat the game without having to use the gear system at all, especially during that was it Woodman Fire level. Um, Coming in at number two was World of Warcraft Battle for Azeroth. Now, even though I'm still kind of playing World of Warcraft right now, Battle for Azeroth, I was super hyped and pumped for it. Um, I didn't, I, usually I pay attention to what's happening in the beta and what the game systems are like. I purposely ignored everything about the beta and what the game, how the game was going to be like for Battle of Azeroth because I wanted to be completely surprised. Now, it's not that Battle for Azeroth is completely terrible, it's just completely unfun. The leveling for the Alliance and Horde, they were okay and decent. They had some pretty decent stories scattered throughout here and there, but it really felt like Legion 0.5, if I have to admit. And the Azerite system is complete trash. It's so boring. The Heart of Azeroth is such a boring concept. And the fact that reputation can only really be gained by doing world quest the same as Legion, meaning that you're going to have to spend weeks getting exalted with certain reputations and unlocking allied races where it's like, you know what? It's not even worth it. Fuck it. Forget it. Um, it's, it's just not fun. I will still keep paying attention to World of Warcraft for the story because I'm interested to see what happens, but basically I have a feeling with what they're doing with Sylvanas, one of my favorite characters, they're just going to go to the wayside and be like, uh, she's evil, we need to kill her, and I'll be so pissed if they do that because it's... I don't want them to just make Sylvanas a complete bad person, right? I don't want them to just make her completely, you know, black and white where it's like, okay, she's evil, we need to stop her. Um, do something more interesting and I really, really hopefully, hopefully you don't do the, oh, she was corrupted by an old god and we gotta stop her. No, dear god, no, we already had that with Garrosh, alright? Coming in at number one may surprise some people. And that has been Red Dead Redemption 2. Now, even though it was one of the best video games on my list previously, it's also turned out to be kind of a dud as well. While the open world of Red Dead Redemption is freaking fantastic, the visuals of the game are stunning, the gameplay is magnificent. The one thing that I love about video games are the stories. Red Dead Redemption 2 has a story that I could give two shits less about, and it and that's the reason why I've not continued playing the game. And plus, since all the missions of Red Dead Redemption 2 are exactly the same, has really led me to not wanting to continue. I'll admit, when I first turned on the game, I was super excited for it. That first chapter, all of it happening in the so snow. I was seriously contemplating about returning the game to see how I could get my money back because it was just that terrible. And so the game did get better once you get out of the snow in chapter two. And now I'm like halfway through chapter three and I just have no desire to continue playing the game. I mean, it's not that the game is bad, like the gameplay is fun, 
but the story i have no desire i give no shits about any of the characters in the story with grand theft auto 5 even though it had you know the similar kind of mission structure i at least cared about the characters right i cared about michael trevor and um frank you know because they were fun characters arthur morgan and red dead redemption i don't give two fucks about him i care about john marston because you know he's in red dead redemption one but other than that everybody else in the camp i don't fucking care at all they could all go piss off a cliff for all i care um so those are the video games that turned out to be duds in 2018 for me once again those are that's fallout 76 octopath traveler mega man 11 world of warcraft battle for azeroth and last but certainly not least well probably least is red dead redemption 2 okay last but not least we have the best movies of 2018 now, i'm just going to go down the list these are not in any particular order i was just going through and trying to figure out okay what movies came out when and what movies did i actually see this year so we have eight movies on the list and like i said no particular order uh first one is black panther uh black panther was you know part of the mcu universe or marvel cinematic universe and it was a pretty enjoyable film i did like it a lot um i really liked michael b jordan's character my one problem with this movie was not only was it extremely predictable which most mcu movies are um it was also kind of like i wish they focused more on michael b jordan's character i felt like when he i mean spoilers here when he took over um the kingdom of wakanda i felt like it didn't last very long at all it was sort of like okay he takes over as king and then 15 minutes later okay uh black panther and michael b jordan's character i forget i forget everybody's name uh fight and then that's the end that's really what it felt like to me i felt like it, I feel like this movie would have almost been better had it been maybe 15-20 minutes longer to sort of show, hey, this is what Michael B. Jordan's character was going to do for Wakanda. Um, because in all honesty, you know, trying to open up Wakanda to the whole world felt like a pretty cool idea, you know? Uh, next on the list is, of course, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, probably one of my favorite MCU movies in quite a while. And... Um, whole movie every time i see it i just literally can't stop watching it it's so good um i've seen it maybe three or four times now and i'm so excited about endgame and this movie is a must see for any kind of superhero fan if you have not seen this movie yet what are you doing stop this podcast right now and go watch it uh next is deadpool 2 not quite as good as deadpool 1 but nonetheless an extremely funny movie and um i gotta say the post-credit scenes were i can't believe they did some of them i'm so glad they did um no spoilers for that but just very funny movie it's worth seeing for sure uh next is solo a star wars movie now I don't know if I've ever mentioned in the podcast before. I, I'm not a fan of The Last Jedi. Um, if you are, cool for you. I was just super hyped to see that movie. And when I went to go see it in theaters, I was walked away completely disappointed. I was on the verge of just walking out of the theater and just saying, this is absolute trash. And when I went to go back and see it a second time, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Yeah, it's as bad as I remember. And then when I watched it a third and fourth time to really try to be, you know, with seeing it as uh, like, okay, let's try not to be too critical. I just do not enjoy that movie. The Casino Planet was just... Uh, 
oh, it kind of ruins the whole movie for me. The whole freaking plot ruins the whole movie for me. Um, even though the scenes with Rey and Kylo and Luke were the best, everything else is just absolute garbage. The whole movie's garbage. Um, but so I avoided seeing Solo a Star Wars story for a long time up until like maybe two months ago and I did not see it in theaters obviously so when I finally sat down to watch Solo I had like no expectations for the movie at all I was thinking okay this is going to be complete trash and surprisingly I enjoyed this movie way more than The Last Jedi um, I would not mind seeing a sort of sequel or a continuation to this kind of Han Solo movie. Um, the actor who played Han Solo did great. Donald Glover playing, um, um, oh my god, why am I forgetting his name? Lando Calrissian. Holy shit, I can't believe I forgot that name. Uh, did a pretty good job. Not the best, but pretty good. Um, and then, oh my god, we had Daenerys. I always forget her name. Uh, playing the one chick was pretty good. Um, it was just a different kind of Star Wars movie that, you know, it was a heist movie, right? And it was fun. I want to see more stories like that in the Star Wars universe that are not just always Jedi and Sith, right? Um, so overall, pretty good movie. And surprisingly, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, next on the list is Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood documentary. And let me just say, if, even if you've never watched Mr. Rogers at all, um, I watched him growing up. And, you know, watching this and just seeing the kind of dedication and effort that, you know, Fred Rogers put into his show and into his life is pretty awe-inspiring, especially for being a content creator and podcaster and all that stuff. It's, you know, I can only wish to be, you know, even a 20th of the man that he was in his life. You know, I mean, he was just such a pure human being and that documentary just showcases it so well it's definitely worth a watch it was so good uh, number six is christopher robin or actually yeah that would be number yeah number six um like i said these are in no particular order christopher robin i have always been a huge fan of winnie the pooh growing up and so seeing a sort of live action Winnie the Pooh um, exceeded all my expectations of the movie. I enjoyed it so much and I love Ewan McGregor and I loved all the Winnie the Pooh characters. I mean, it, yeah, it was a pretty obvious movie of what's going to happen, you know, happy ending and all that stuff, but you know what? It was such a fun, endearing movie. My kids loved the hell out of it. I loved it. My wife loved it. We all loved it so much in theaters and you know, we all laughed and cried and it's... You know, it's it's sort of the type of movie that really makes you reminisce about your own childhood, right? And sort of days long forgotten and sort of, you know, sometimes you want to go back, but you realize that you can't, you can't, you can't ever go back. Uh, next on my list is Mission Impossible Fallout. Now, I had just seen this movie, God, I think like a week ago, because I finally watched all the Mission Impossible movies. And even though Mission Impossible 3 has been my favorite Mission Impossible out of all six of them, Fallout comes at a very close second. This entire movie, I was on the edge of my seat like, oh my God, I can't stop watching. And at the that end scene, that, that ending climax, I'm just... Oh my god, it got me. I I was so surprised at the end and oh my the whole movie was just uh 
I'm yelling at my TV screen like, oh my God, holy shit, no way, stop, what are you doing? I'm just like, and I don't, I don't never, ever really do that during movies, but th during this movie, I was just going insane and crazy like, oh my God, it can't be. And um, so it was such a wild ride. If you like good action flicks, with this being the sixth Mission Impossible, you'd think it wouldn't be getting any better, but dear God, as you think all you want about Tom Cruise. Yeah, he may be a crappy person in real life, but... Dude, damn, can he fucking act, man. Holy shit, can he act. Um, such a good movie. This next movie uh, on the list is, and the last movie, and certainly not least, is Creed 2. I am a huge Rocky Balboa fan. I love all the Rocky movies. I probably watch every single movie once a year. And the last time I watched all the movies was on my trip to Vegas uh, back in October. I watched all of them. And when Creed 2 came out, I had to go see, I probably saw it maybe, I think a week after it came out in theaters because I had to, I couldn't make it when it came out. Um, and I got to say that movie, I think Creed 2 was better than Creed 1. Not that Creed 1 is bad. It just, I don't know, Creed 2 just felt more personal, more, um, and I was super surprised at the humanization and characterization of Ivan and Victor Drago. Um, so glad that they didn't make the Dragos just complete cartoon characters like how Ivan Drago was in Rocky IV. And it, I loved the entire movie. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, everything about it, I loved it so much. And this was sort of a send-off for Rocky's character where he goes back and sees his son Robert at the end and I choked up and was in tears you know seeing that and um, I love the entire Rocky franchise and you know I kind of hope Creed continues that passing I of passing the torch you know hopefully we see a Creed 3 and you know who knows what's going to happen from there I love this whole franchise and I hope it's not the end so those are my favorite movies of 2018 once again I'll just go down the list it's Black Panther Avengers Infinity War Deadpool 2 Solo a Star Wars Story When Would You Be My Neighbor Christopher Robin Mission Impossible Fallout and Creed 2 so that is the end of my very last podcast for 2018 I hope you all enjoyed it and thank you very much for being a listener now or, or watcher of the show. Now, I probably don't say this enough, but I sincerely do thank every single one of you who do actually watch or listen to my show. Um, there are so many times that being a content creator is not the easiest in the world. And, and I'm not saying that to try to garner sympathy or anything, because especially with someone as myself that I battle, you know, depression and so much other stuff on a day-to-day -day basis where there's a lot of times where I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this podcast and it's, and it's hard to remember why you start something in the first place. I didn't think I'd ever make it three years into this and I didn't think I would keep continuing on. Um, 2018 probably, even though according to the stats and analytics wasn't my best year, but it was definitely probably the year that I was noticed the most. I was able to get four preview cards from Wizards of the Coast, and thank you for that. I was able to be featured by Channel Fireball at two separate GPs, GP Dallas and GP Orlando, and I thank Channel Fireball for that. I have met so many awesome people in the Magic community and hope to continue to keep meeting more, especially you listeners and followers and all that stuff. I mean, what more can I say except thank you? And thank you for being there with me, for helping me out, you know, through some... <laughs> 
really hard times in 2018 that I've talked about before and it's I'm not sure what's going to be in store for me for 2019 but I'm going to do my best for it and here's hoping for some more episodes of Magic Wazubi and to continue on so once again thank you all and have a great night